Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with author and celebrity nutrition and fitness expert, JJ Virgin, about her book, Warrior Mom. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to check out my Patreon page to help support my advocacy work and, ex- and receive exclusive content through Patreon, patreon.com slash Amy Zalmer. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Sedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. Save the date for March 16th. I will be hosting a virtual Brain Injury Awareness Day event. You can register at facesoftbi.com slash event. And you can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is JJ Virgin. In September of 2012, celebrity nutrition and fitness expert JJ Virgin got the call that every parent dreads. Her 16-year-old son Grant had been the victim of a horrific hit and run. His injuries were so severe and his chances of survival so slim that doctors told his family to let Grant die. JJ decided to stop listening to the odds and start expecting miracles instead. Warrior Mom tells us the moving story of J.J., Grant, and their community as they made the journey from tragedy to healing. This powerful and uplifting memoir offers you an intimate look into the heart and mind of a mother battling for both her son and her own future, plus the lessons she learned that are crucial to a healthy, resilient mindset. If you've ever struggled with anxiety or indecision or wondered how to hold on to hope in the face of a crisis, this inspiring book will help you define what it takes to stay strong and positive. Find out the pivotal moments in JJ's past that helped make her the t- that helped her make the tough calls, plus the insights she gained from turning the worst nightmare into the opportunity to grow and thrive. Welcome to the podcast, JJ. It is such an honor to have you here today. Thank you for having me. 
I uh, I have followed you for quite some time. I don't remember where I first. I think it was the um, the Broken Brain series is perhaps where I mm. first learned of you, and um, you know, so inspiring. So I'm I'm very thrilled to have you here and um, just to share both yours and Grant's story of what of you know what you've been through and where you came out on the other side, right? Because I think that's so important to have hope that there is a, right. a, another, another side. Right. And it's always a journey. It's still in process. Um, but I'll tell you, like, the one thing that I thought during the first, the first little while at the hospital when they literally were telling us to let him die because when Grant got hit by the car, he – he was in a deep coma. He had diffuse axonal injuries, you know, bleeding on the brain. However, he also had um, a torn aorta. And the challenge was the type of surgery he needed to fix the torn aorta that they told us would rupture sometime in the next 24 hours and that, like, any minute, you know, it could go, required the use of blood thinners. Otherwise, his brain would bleed out. And so they couldn't do it at the, the hospital that we were at. And that was creating all the problems because the doctor's like, he's not going to survive an airlift. And even if he survives an airlift, he'll never survive the surgery. But, you know, you're looking at this thing and going, well, he's still alive now. So I said to the doctor, well, he's, he's going to die here, right? Yes. And I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, he definitely would die here. Possible. Like the teeniest, littlest fraction of hope that he could make it. I mean, you know, that's not zero. So obviously yeah. I'm gonna, any parent would go, I'll choose that, you know. And so that's what we chose. And I still remember, you know, he survived the airlift. He survived the surgery. And, and the doctor that fixed his torn aorta was like, okay, it's all great. He's, he's fine. He goes, now, I don't know about his brain. I'm not, I'm not the brain doc. I'm just a plumber, right? And so you, right, know, you go from right. a, a total, a low, a high, back to low. And we went to talk to the neurosurgeons who were like complete doom and gloom saying, yeah, we don't know if we'll ever wake up. And yeah. I just made that decision standing there in the hospital that I was going to do whatever was in my power to source, to do whatever, to help him get to be 110%. It was that um, vision of 110% and then just, just the focus on that as ridiculous as that could possibly be with, you know, your son lying in a hospital bed with 13 fractures, both legs casted, you know, in a deep coma. And I'm saying he's going to be 110%. And the doctors were like, okay, honey, you know, but <laughs> it, it was, it was having that mission, that crazy, crazy idea in my head. I just, that's it. I just, from that moment on, I was like, what, what will it take to get him to be 110%? I focused on that question. And I think that's, that's a really important piece of it is is because I believe you you get what you focus on right so I was like I'm going to focus yeah. on that and and if he falls a little short okay you know like it's better than where we were so that was that was the whole way through even to to today it was like how do I get him to be 110 percent yeah and so he was 16 at the time um correct yes. and yep. um how how long was he in the hospital so he was in a coma, like the first part of the coma. By the way, comas are not like on on TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> As many of us, I'm sure many of the listeners now know, it's like, you know, that movie While You Were Sleeping where he wakes up and is like, hi, I love you. I thought that's what it would be like. And that is not what happened. So 
he woke up, but he didn't really wake up. He woke up, looked to the side, and started to move the only – he had one arm that was free. Everything else was casted on his body. He just moved it back and forth all day long. And so, you know, that was a little bit freaky to go, all right, <laughs> what's going to happen here? Is he going to actually make it through this? Um, so it took, it took the first four and a half months. He was at one hospital for one month, for two and a half months, and then he was at the next hospital, at a rehab hospital for two months, where they were literally, we literally had to start all over again. Like, what's your name? How do you eat? How do you brush your teeth? How do you get dressed? How do you use the bathroom? Like, it was like having a really big baby, you know, 150-pound yeah. baby. So we started all over again. And we, they wanted us, we would, have, we would have been there for eight months, but we were, I, I kind of felt like if we got home to where things were familiar, we would have um, a better shot at things. And every day he would say, like literally all day long, he'd go, when do I go home? And I'd answer the question. Then, when do I go home? Because <laughs> he couldn't remember anything. And so I finally wrote a board that I could point to. See all these things? When these things are done, we go home. Um, but we took him home early. And it felt like we could rehab them better at home. What I wasn't aware of, and I feel like there's not great resources out there to really tell you what to expect um, from a TBI. What the doctors told me at the hospital was when he woke up, it would be ugly. And I didn't know that that meant it would be ugly for, like, years. I thought Jim meant yeah. And then everything would be fine. I didn't know that he'd be yeah. suicidal, you know, angry, how scary things would be. Like literally multiple times that he tried to kill himself by, you know, he like went and tried to walk in front of the car again. I'm like, oh, no, you don't. You know, I was like, no, you don't. Not after all this. And uh, swallowed handfuls of pills. And so it was it, it was really challenging to work through that and really scary uh, to go through and, that piece of it with him. And do you think the suicide attempts? Um, I know that you'll never truly know the answer, only he does, but um, do you think it was, how do I want to word this, like that it was the brain injury doing it, or do you think he had um, sort of that survivor's guilt, like he felt like a burden to you and didn't want to be here anymore? Like, what do you think was the cause of those suicide attacks? Yeah, I don't think it, it, it definitely wasn't survivor's guilt. There is an interesting piece, though. Um, you know, I've always been fascinated by near-death experiences, and he'd never, he knew nothing about near-death experiences. He'd never read anything. He knew nothing about it. And so there was no way he knew any of the information he told me. He told me, gosh, as he started to talk more and more, he started to talk about the gray man in the hospital who mm. came and asked him if he wanted to live or die. And he said it was so beautiful over there. There's no time. He, he tries to describe it. And I'm like, I don't understand. You know, I, I don't understand it. I have no frame of reference. But, you know, he said the gray man asked him if he wanted to live or die. And it was much, much nicer over there. But he kept hearing me talk. So he decided to come back. So I think some yeah. of it is, you know, potentially you come back and you're in a damaged body with a damaged brain, your friends have all left, you go try to go back to school, they're mean to you, they're teenagers, and you know they're the other side so much nicer, and you're like, hell with this, you know, <laughs> I'm out. So I, I think some of that, you know, his brain was super unstable, he was very fiery. So 
think it was more that. I don't think there was any survivor's guilt stuff around it. I think it was more mm-hmm. just the frustration and depression of the yeah. reality of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and thank you for sharing because I, I think, you know, they say that suicidal ideation goes up 10 times after a TBI. People with TBI are 10 times more likely to have ideation. Ideation doesn't mean you'll fall through with it. It just means you think about it. But 30% more likely to actually try to go through with it. Um, so it's a really big problem within um, the yeah, TBI and they, and world. Yeah, and they need to prepare you. Like, they should, <laughs> you should not leave a hospital with a brain-injured person and not know that, you know? I mean, right? Like, yeah. And and I know for myself, even I thought about it a lot. I was in a lot of pain. I had a lot of physical pain on top of the brain injury. Um, And I just, I just thought about it all the time because I was so tired of being in pain. Um, But Mm. I knew I wasn't going to go through with it. Um, You know, I was kind of in that weird, I thought about it an awful lot, but also knew I didn't really want to do it. Um, So yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, that I think, like you said, people aren't prepared for. And, you know, you, you come home with this person, whether it's your child or your spouse or a parent. And, um, you know, not everybody can handle it <laughs> as gracefully as you did. Right. <laughs> I love that. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, you don't I don't think it was super graceful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. There There were times it was definitely not graceful. I mean, we, we the paramedics got really used to us. Um, I remember Aww. they walked in once and three of us were on top of Grant holding him down. <laughs> it was like, you know, we just finally just had to just had to keep our sense of humor and hope around us because otherwise it would just be so depressing, you know. Well, and, you know, and, and maybe this happened to you, but, you know, so often then they get written off as just a mental health problem, Um when in reality, the root of the problem is coming from the brain injury itself, right? Like everything's been disrupted in the brain. Um, so what was it? Really it really makes what... me wonder, one thing important about that that I, I just hope comes out, because as this was happening, I go, gosh, how many people, and I had a friend who had a brain injury who was, you know, 40, who became super depressed and suicidal. He never put it together until Grant got hit and I started talking about uh-huh. this. You just wonder how many uh-huh. people have had, have hit their head, as my buddy Dr. Daniel Lehman says, you hit your head, you hurt your brain. How many yep. people has that happened to that they didn't know? And, you know, it's absolutely frightening yep. when you think about yep. it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I look at small children in elementary school age. Um, I just had a guest on a few weeks ago that we were talking about um, these kids are being written off as ADHD, but in reality, they've had a head injury and it just hasn't been caught and assessed yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my hope with awareness is that we start catching more of these things. Um, So, JJ, what, you know, what was the next, you brought them home and you know, how did things go at first? Did you have any resources yet? Did the doctors tell you what the next steps were? Or did you just have to figure them out on your own? Um, Where did you turn to for answers? Oh, my gosh. Um, So we got home. And, you know, it was like, 
the local newspaper covered it because the local newspaper covered all of it. You know, he was on radio shows and TV shows, big, but the behind the scenes was really not very pretty. Um, mm-hmm. At first, we we got we did the hosp- first hospital two and a half months, the second hospital two months. That was a rehab center. Then we would went to LA for another month. We went five days during the week, and then we went came back home on the weekends, and then we came home for good. And honestly, it was so difficult because he was supposed to be a junior in high school. Well, <laughs> there was nowhere for him to be in high school. So we tried to put him in like, well, thought he'll do PE class, except he had so many injuries, he couldn't really do PE. And then they tried to put him into like the autistic and, um, you know, special needs class, except, you know, any kind of overstimulation, et cetera, like that's the worst place for him to be. And so there was mm-hmm. no way for him to go to school and he didn't really have it. So really the, what saved his life was this woman, Marcy Utter, who was a speech therapist who like he went there multiple times a week and he worked with her. And then he also went to a place called kinetics and they worked with him on his physical fitness and really doing more agility, balance, all that kind of stuff. And those were the two things that really started to help him because he couldn't go back to school. I mean, he hasn't gone back to school since. There's been nowhere for him to go. And up until really like, um, you know, I don't even know where he'd go now because he, the, t- the time pressure would stress him out. I mean, he literally reads books and memorizes them. He's taught himself how to do um, ferment things. He's taught himself how to do um, hydroponics, all sorts of stuff but I don't know that he'd ever really be able to handle a school situation. So I feel like this is a forgotten group of people that there really aren't the resources, the places to go. There's, there's places for people with dementia, but that's not him. There's places for people with autism, right. but that's not him. It's like this weird area where you're like, what, where, where do they go? Like, what do they, what do they do? So we've really had to kind of makeshift the therapy together. I will say that his dad has been, I go out and find resources. His dad is the most patient human being on the planet, uh, way more patient than me. He, is, he has been <laughs> there with him every day, helping him through some of the stuff that I was like, I don't know if I could do that. You know, it's been amazing. So we've had, we're, we're very, very fortunate in that we have a very tight family and we all support him. I, I worry about people who don't have, you know, the yeah. family that would stand by them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and is he at a level like? Do you worry that he'll never be able to live on his own? Um, we sent him out to Utah at one point to go through some training because I thought I'm too close to this. So we found yeah. a group who actually specializes in doing this, and he was able to live on his own. Um, I just worry about him being lonely at this point. So yeah. I think he could live on his own. Right now, I just think he'd be lonely, and that's sad. You know, I think loneliness is one of the worst things that are, we are suffering in this country. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got his memory back. He's aware of things. Um, like, in terms of where he's at now, like, in so many ways, he's better than before the accident. Like, I'd say he's, in, in most ways, he's 110%. Um, 
It's just now really trying to figure out when you have someone who didn't graduate from high school, right, missed a lot of socialization that was super key and critical. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go back and go, okay, how do we work through socialization? How do we get you prepared for a job who's going to go, why don't you have a high school education? You know, what's going on? So that's the other challenging place too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, cause now he's a young man, right. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, it, you know, and, and like I said, in your instance, this is a son. Um, but I see it a lot with spouses, right. Um, you know, similar situations. And unfortunately I see a lot of the wives leave cause they can't handle it. And, you know, mm-hmm. as a parent, that's not an option, right? Like you're going to do anything and everything for your child where sometimes as a right. spouse, it's a little easier to leave, unfortunately. Um, you know, so for anyone listening who's in that situation where it's really hard, it's really challenging, I mean, you know, the, their spouse has attempted suicide, they're maybe angry, they, they, they're isolated, they don't, they don't know how to socialize anymore, you know, what, what advice do you have for that person listening? Here's the thing. I I believed that Grant could be better than before the accident, and he is. We all are, and there was some really dark times. It was really challenging, but there's so many things that you can do to heal the brain. Um, now, not all these things are stuff that you're readily accessible, but, boy, if you do some sniffing around, you can find them, everything from ketogenic mm-hmm. diet to stem cells and exosomes yep. to peptides, you know, so, I mean, to neurofeedback, EMDR, we have been doing so much little by little. We just, when I, when he first came out, I was like, we're going to do cryo and hyperbaric and stuff. And he's like, mom, you know, like, stop it. So, but I just continue to push the path forward. And in a lot of ways, I think his brain's probably better than most people at this point. (laughs) So you just can't give up hope. I mean, that person that you love is in there, you know, they're in there. And you can't, like, you can't let that go. I mean, it, it just can't. So I just kept pushing forward on these things. And sometimes I just get to that point where you're like, oh, my gosh, is this, is this as good as it's going to get? That frightening, scary feeling. And I just wouldn't let myself stay there. I just kept seeing 110% of what's the next step. And there's always a next step to be had. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, and and you know you talk about there's a lot of dark moments in there and I think anyone listening can relate, you know, just for me personally, um there were some very very dark days that I just didn't know how I was ever going to get better. And mainstream, you know, traditional medicine was doing nothing for me. Just nothing, give it more time. Nothing. Nothing we can That's do. That's what they told me. No. They they told me it was time and that that really it was time. And then it was the first two years. And after that, you kind of got what you got. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. Nope. Like I'm just <laughs> zero chance. I'm accepting that. And, yep. um, you know, you can heal your brain damage way earlier at any point. There's amazing stuff that you can do. There are incredible doctors out there doing amazing stuff and don't fall for that. That I, I don't know where that big fat lie came I from, but it, I was told know, one year need to stop. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yep. We know neuroplasticity is very real. And I mean, just look at the the advances we're seeing in reversing dementia. I mean, hello. (laughs) Clearly, Mm -hmm. we can repair the brain. So Um, much stuff that can be done. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. exciting. 
it's super exciting. So I don't buy any of that. And I think that's the other piece of it, you know, and you just, you need, gosh, you know, I, I worry about the people that don't have the advocates. Like Brent had a yeah. family that was going to do whatever it took to get them yeah. there. So you need an advocate for you too. And that, and that patient dad. <laughs> yeah. And the amazing dad, I mean, the, the amazing dad and the amazing brother and my new husband, like everybody, it's, he is surrounded by people who are patient, who, but also won't let him off the hook. And I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, like you can't baby someone and just not help them work into real life. You've got to push them, which isn't always mm-hmm. an awesome thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's not always pleasant, but it's absolutely necessary. So. Did Grant go through any of like the anger, like um, like he'd lash out at you and get really angry? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, yes. Let, let's Absolutely. talk about that a little bit because I know that's 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 another area where people get really frustrated, and um, I want people to know that there's there is hope. You know, we yeah. can get through this. Yeah, and well, I mean, the biggest thing that you've got to remember is that you kind of lost that filter. And so whatever you think or feel is coming out. (laughs) So, I I mean, that can be great or that can be awful, right? Like, and sometimes Grant was laughing hysterically and telling everybody he loved him. And then sometimes it was like absolute anger and I hate you and scary. It looked like the Incredible Hulk. When he was in the hospital, literally, um, I remember we had to give him, shoot him with Haldol, Ativan, and and, um, Benadryl cocktails and you could see the throw in his brow and I'm like the Hulk's coming out and we'd have to hit him with it because he would get so violent and we had to have a security guard outside his he was in a posy bed a bed that they zip you up inside of so you cannot get out and he was um, had a 24-hour security guard outside his room and it was absolutely frightening because he could get so violent and scary so and we had to always be there that if that you know was going on, we could we could help. I remember once I came in and my ex-husband was shirt was ripped in half, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> literally the whole. Like, All right, well there you go. You know, so it, yeah, it could be very, very uh, scary stuff. But you know, you kind of look at what are the triggers for it, what's going on, and that's it, like when we first started doing stem cells, he'd gotten stable again, and we started doing stem cells into his spine. And that he got very violent again. And I just went, all right, part of your brain is healing. We just did some a special type of peptides in his nose. And he started to get kind of ramped up again. And I just went, all right, I think, you know, your brain's healing again. So, you know, part of it is also just really getting clear on what, you know, what, what is the new normal and what could these things be signs of. And now he knows, oh, my brain's feeling a little bit, and I know how to work through this. And we've given him strategies for anxiety, for, you know, for anger, so that he learns how to work through it. Because, hey, here's the other part. In life, you get anxious. You get angry. Like, mm-hmm. it's normal. And that's why I keep telling him, because, you know, you also got to know, like, what's normal? Normal is to get anxious and angry periodically. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We all do. Yeah. Yeah, so true. So very true. I mean, everybody has anxiousness and nervousness at some point. So absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, JJ, we are just about out of time. And I, you know, I'd love to just wrap up by asking you, you know, your final thoughts for our listeners, anyone listening today who is still struggling, um, they haven't found the right help yet. You know, what, what advice do you have for them today? Oh, gosh. Um, first of all, I talk for, for 10 help. hours I mean, that just was, on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, I was very frustrated with the lack of resources out there. I was like, how are there not resources for this? Like, how is this, this kind of thing? It, so many people are affected by it. What, it's like 5 million people at any time are suffering by this. And yeah. it's kind of this quiet yeah. hidden thing. Why is this? Um, and, but there are a lot of resources. I really love Michael Lewis wrote this book, Dr. Michael Lewis. He helped me and mm-hmm. he wrote When Brains Collide. And it's just a fantastic book. And Dr. Dan Engel wrote um, The Concussion Repair Manual. So there are, there are things out there. You just got to gotta hunt for them. And I just, the biggest, my biggest wish is if you're a caretaker, number one, make sure you're taking care of yourself because this is a challenging thing. But just, you just got to keep seeing your loved one. Know, you know who's in there and you just have to keep seeing that person coming back out again because they will. It just takes time. Yeah. And a so, lot of work. Uh, it takes time. I, I hate that it just takes time. It takes time. And keep, keep doing things, whether it's, it's breath work. Bryce is, Grant's now doing Wim Hof. We've done EMDR. We're, I like just keep, keep adding a thing in there right? Because you just never know. Everyone looks for that one thing that's going to do it. I don't think there's one thing. Yeah, there isn't just one thing. And, you know, it's definitely a multi-modality approach to recovery. And, you know, you've hit the nail on the head about resources not being out there. And, you know, hence, why I started this podcast as, as a, as a hopeful resource for people. Um, and both those doctors you just mentioned, they have been on my podcast. So anyone listening, go back through the archives, find um, Michael Lewis and uh, Dan Engelman. Engel. Yeah. Engel. Engel. They're Dan both Engel. amazing, yep. amazing humans. In yep. fact, go back them, and like find Dan Engel with uh, Grant Stock. So oh, he's, I incredible. love him. He's lovely. They're yeah. both lovely, but he's awesome. Dan's really yeah. lovely. Yeah. Well, JJ, it has been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you for being here. Um, your book, Warrior Mom, is available on Amazon, and I have that linked in the show notes. Um, and I also have your website, jjvirgin.com, linked as well. Um, you can find her book in both places. So thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, my gosh, it's so needed. So bless you. Mm, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you, JJ. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and you walked away with some good golden nuggets from JJ. And just a reminder, her book, Warrior Mom, is available on Amazon, and I do have that linked in the show notes. And just another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. And again, you can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or directly at facesoftbi.com. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank <laughs> you.